that we are in is called Not What I Wanted. Not What I Wanted. As we look at the themes of Advent, we are going to be looking at, like today, the theme of hope. We are going to be looking at the theme of peace, the theme of love, and the theme of joy. And when you look at those four words next to a box that says, Not What I Wanted, maybe that just doesn't make sense because you're looking at all of those things and you're thinking, that's just what I want. I would love those things in my life, and I think we do. We all pray for those, uh, those attributes, those qualities, those gifts in our life. Who here wouldn't be someone who says, I could use some more hope. I could use some more peace, some more love, some more joy. And so what we will be doing is looking at these themes through the eyes of the nation of Israel through the birth of Jesus. We'll be looking at these themes through the eyes of Mary because I think it's amazing when you see that for both of these lenses, Jesus was really not what I wanted. Not the way that he showed up or, or how he would even live his life. The lens was a little different. And what's going to be great about this series is as we go through each of these themes, we may be revisiting the same passages. So if you're like, oh man, pastor's getting lazy. They're going back to Luke again. No, 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 no. We're just going to look at it through a different lens, which is great. Because as we talked about last week, it's great that the word of God is living and active, that it continues to shape us. So for most of this series, we're going to be in the biography of Jesus written by Dr. Luke. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to turn to the biography of Jesus written by Dr. Luke. Luke, And I, I, my hope is that you're not just sitting here today thinking, that's not what I wanted. Maybe you're looking at me in a Giants jersey and you're thinking, that's not what I wanted. Amen. I, I hear you. I hear you. You show up each week in your Eagles gear. And you know what? It's a reminder. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I wanted. But you know what's funny about this is um, I haven't really watched a ton of football this year, mostly because my team stinks more than yours. Wow. And I know that. I know that. And so today I wear this thinking, I hope the Giants win. I really do. I hope that they show up in a way that they have not all year long, which means, what am I hoping for? Is my hope that good things are going to happen because if I pray hard enough, God is going to let the Giants win? Well, that's, that's close to resurrection. I don't know today, right? When I say I hope, what I really mean is, fingers crossed, I hope, I wish, I have a desire for the Giants to win. And I'm taking this off because it's bugging me. Um, you can amen that too. It's all right, Bill. I see you. Um, you know, it's funny. As Thanksgiving kind of hits this week, and I do, just like Pastor Will, hope you had a great time, whether it was with family or just kind of resting. You know, I, as Thanksgiving hits, I, it becomes like the beginning of the crazy holiday season. Does anybody else feel that? I know for some of you crazy people, it starts November 1st, that like as soon as Halloween and that last trick-or-treater comes, your tree is up and you're like in it all November. Um, 
most of us have the same exact thought when it comes to this season. And, and for me, it just simply is this. I just hope I can get through this season. I just hope I can get through this season. Does anybody else feel this besides me? A little, little moment of honesty? All right, cool, like four of you. Um, that's great. Like I said, some of you, you love this season. This is like your Super Bowl. So what I want you to do is think about Super Bowl season. And now you know this phrase, I just want to get through this season. I just, like, there's so many things. Pretend that's you for a second. You know, there is this stretch of a couple of weeks that we have that everyone's telling us to celebrate. Everyone's telling us, you know, soak it all in, enjoy it all. But deep down, there is this sense of you just hope to get through it. You just, you just hope you have the time to get everything in. You hope that you don't mess up and ruin someone else's Christmas because you forgot something. And our hope in these moments is the same as my hope for the giants. It's a wish for some desired outcome. And I, I think this is a stunted definition of hope because we all know that chaos is going to ensue somehow this month, don't we? We all know that things are not going to go to plan, that we will miss a gift, a party, that we will forget some event because of the other 15 things that may have popped up, no matter how organized your calendar is. Chaos steals this kind of hope, this wishful thinking. But biblical hope isn't just a desire for something good to happen. Biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for God to do something good in the future. Let me say that again for you. The biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for God to do something good in the future. Hope doesn't mean crossing your fingers. It means that we can expect good things and great things from God in all of our chaos. You know, it's funny, the nation of Israel knew this type of hope, I think, better than anybody else. If you go through the Hebrew scriptures, the Jewish Bible, which is our Old Testament, and you begin to look at the Old Testament, you will see history books through their prophets. Hope is written into it everywhere, as our girls had read for us today. The place that I think is filled with the most hope is their songbook. The book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is filled with this idea of hope. And let me tell you, if there's any nation that needed a little bit of hope, this was the nation that needed hope. When you think about it, after 400 years in slavery, then 400 years wandering the desert, battling these stronger, more established nations and armies to take possession of their promised land, there was always something bigger in front of these, these people, this nation that they had this habit of returning to hope, that God was up to something good. Unfortunately, the reality of this hope happened after they sat in the chaos for a while. The hope began after chaos, and I will be honest with you, their hope, sometimes, it wasn't always in God, and it wasn't in the right place. Hope was placed somewhere else. When it came to dealing with like sin in the nation, they believed that God would love and continue to redeem them. So they would have hope that through their system of sacrifices, they could be made right with God. I, I love this. 
We see this in Psalm 130, one of my favorite psalms of ascent. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to actually um, go from Luke where you are now. Go back into the Old Testament. You could open up your Bible pretty much to the center spot and go right over to Psalm 130. And this is a psalm of hope, a psalm of hope. Would you stand with me as I read Psalm 130 for us? From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord, pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I'm counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my, what's that word there? I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than the centuries, long for the dawn. Yes, more than the centuries, long for the dawn. O Israel, what's this word? Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. You can grab a seat. This, this psalm is great because it starts actually in a place of chaos. From the depths of despair, God, I'm calling out for help. Recognizing this massive amount of sin that sits on their shoulders that they've committed. But they turn quickly to hope, don't they? They say, we have hope. And the hope is in God's word. The hope is in God's forgiveness, not just to cleanse them, but to point them into this deeper relationship with him. They had hope in God's unfailing love and in his redemptive nature. I, I love this. Even in the midst of their chaos, they understood hope. They could see the crazy that was happening around them, but they would continue to sing this psalm. This is a psalm that would be sung over and over and over. Collectively, they would sing it together, inspiring and reminding each other that God is still for us. We can count on him. Worshiping God through song actually has this way of reigniting hope in our souls. I'd like to believe today that it's in times of chaos that we sing our way to hope. That in times of chaos, we sing our way to hope. And what's interesting about this psalm is it's actually believed to be written and compiled when the nation was very divided. When the nation was split, most of the nation has been in exile with their like fiercest enemy for decades. And then there's this small remnant of Jews who stayed in Jerusalem, kind of the leftovers, if you will. And this psalm kind of comes out of these people in exile who had, believe it or not, a different kind of hope than those who were left. They had hope in a coming Messiah. They had hope in a warrior king who was going to destroy the oppressive nature of their enemy. That he was going to restore Israel to the most powerful nation in all of the world. We see they're longing for this in verse 6 of the psalm where they say, I long for the Lord more than the centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than the centuries long for the dawn. 
They were waiting. They were always waiting, and they were always watching. When is our Messiah coming? When is our rescuer coming? We know that he's going to come, and man, our enemies are going to pay. So what did they do? They sang and they endured. With each oppressive nation that they had to deal with, their hope for a rescue from their enemies, destruction over them continued to be through this Messiah that was coming. Prophet after prophet reminded them of this Messiah who was going to rescue them, who was going to forgive their sins, who's going to restore the nation. So hundreds of years later after this exile period, we read about this Messiah's coming. But he came as an infant. Can I tell you that in this moment, for this nation, collectively there was a groan. That's not what I wanted. That's not what I wanted. To be honest, I, I think Mary, a young Jewish teenager, I think she thought the same thing. Can I say that? I, I, I think she thought the same thing. This is not what I wanted. But she, I'd argue, was able to live out Psalm 130 in a way that most of the nation would not be able to live out. In Luke chapter 1, in this biography of Jesus, we find Mary, who's engaged to a man named Joseph. And what's great about Luke, and the reason that we'll be camping there, is because um, Dr. Luke is the only one that we know interviewed Mary for his biography. So we have an insider's point of view from Jesus's mother in this biography. And so if you're looking and you're like a teenage mother or a teenage girl engaged to be married, listen, this is completely normal for this culture, completely normal. They would have most likely have known each other beforehand. And at some point, Joseph would have made a payment for Mary to her family to secure his wife. This was not like he was purchasing her because she was a piece of property. He wasn't buying her. But this was a, uh, a gift to the family to basically say, until she is my wife and we have our own home, in case something happens, you have enough to take care of her, but if she's my responsibility. And at this point, they would be legally bound to each other. As soon, you, you got to imagine as the ring or the payment, it's like a signed marriage covenant. They were united in every single way, but physically. Okay, they were united in every single way, but physically. Consummating the marriage for a couple was the last, and I would argue in most Jewish uh, traditions, the most permanent bond that could be made to bring this couple together. It was one of the most sacred parts of marriage because procreation was held at such a high honor and esteem that, uh, you know, traditionally, most families would hope for one boy and one girl. And if they had one boy and one girl, they would have fulfilled their requirement for kids. But since fertility was seen as such a blessing, they would continue to have, you know, kid after kid after kid after kid to show like, look, God has blessed us. They saw their children as blessings. Um, and, and so what's great is this idea of God is blessing through children, but the flip side of that coin was infertility then was seen as a curse, that you had done something wrong, that you had sinned, that your partner had sinned. And unfortunately, most of the baggage of this laid on the woman, not the man. 
And so there's this really weird tension to it. But I do think there's moments for Mary that maybe she thought about when she was engaged what the future would look like. Does anybody else dream forward besides me? I dream forward all the time. I am always thinking about what could be. I've always been this way that I can make up my own little worlds and, and think about what it was. I think with every girlfriend that I had in high school, I, I did wonder all the time. I wonder what our life's going to look like. I wonder if we'll have kids. I wonder where we'll live. I wonder what kind of jobs that we're going to have. I wonder what it's going to be like when my kids listen to every single word that I say because I'll be a great parent, you know? I wonder. I hope, right? I, I, I can remember with each job that I had, especially when I was working at golf courses, whether I was caddying or working out in the range and doing all that, I wondered what it would be like because I was playing a lot of golf at that time to be a pro. If I can get out and practice so many times, I wonder what kind of money I can make if I was a pro. I wonder where, um, what courses I might get to play. I hope I can play this. I hope I can play that. And, and I wonder what warm state I'll live in because you can't play golf in 35 degrees, right? You got to be somewhere that you could, I wonder what's going to happen. And I would dream forward. I will tell you that I even dreamed for you. Did you know that? That I have hopes for you. Hopes for Crossbridge, for every single person. And what, what would it look like, God, if every person really did continue to take one step forward in their faith? What would it look like for a church who gave so generously that every year we could do what we're doing? Could you imagine if we weren't just saying, hey, it'd be great to, to match the first $15,000 that comes in, which, can I just say, I love being a part of a church that's going to say everything that comes in for our Christmas offering we're giving away. How cool is that? How cool is that? Giving it away to the table, which is a church plant. We're giving it away to, um, you know, overseas missions that we've been connecting to and organizations over there. We're giving it away to um, angels outreach right here, right locally, to just bless them with no expectation and giving it away to, what's the fourth one there? Uh, Sunday Breakfast Rescue Mission to help care for the homeless, the best homeless uh, shelter in Philadelphia. Right here, right global, like how cool is this? So I dream, I hope for you. But I know that chaos hits and I think that Mary, she had hopes for her future. I think she had hopes for her family too. I, I, I think she hoped that Joseph would teach their future sons the commitment to the Torah, that, that he would train them in the family business of carpentry and they would grow up strong and honorable like their dad. I'm sure that she thought about what it would be like to raise up daughters of her own to be women of integrity, women of honor who have done things like she has, to teach them about all the festivals coming up, all the food laws so that they could honor God as they prepared to serve their family. I'm sure she would walk through with them and hope to walk through what it would mean to honor your grandparents, all of whom would have been unbelievably close to the home at all times. Maybe she hoped that they would find husbands like the winner that she found. She hoped that they would truly be in love like she was. And that maybe one day, I wonder if she hoped if she was lucky, she would get to take care of her grandkids the same way that she hoped her parents would. I'm sure she had hope. You know what's funny about all of our dreams forward? There's no chaos in our hopes, is there? 
We never account for chaos. We never account for things to get messed up. It's always smooth sailing. And this all changed for Mary in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, she tells Dr. Luke what happened, and this is what she says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, we'll get to Elizabeth in a second, okay? God sent an angel to Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. So Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman! The Lord is with you! Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Okay, life is on the trajectory for Mary, right? She's getting married to Joseph, who we read here is from the lineage of King David. She's got a winner, my friends, right? There's some royalty in his blood, and this is exciting. And then things shift in an entirely new direction when an angel comes to tell her, you are awesome, and the Lord is with you. I mean, this sounds amazing. Who would want to visit from an angel to say you're awesome? Well, Mary. Mary, why, why do we know that? Because it says she's confused and disturbed. This is unnerving for her. She's basically saying, that's not what I expected. This is not what I expected to happen today. And I think Gabriel's pretty smart here. He picks up on this confusion, this disturbedness, right? So he, he responds in verse 30, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for I have found, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel says, listen, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Instead, you should be excited because you're pregnant with God's son. And listen, I know there's pressure with that, but don't worry about the pressure of naming your kid. His name will be Jesus. You don't need to have plans for his future. Got it all done. His life is all planned out. No need to worry. He is going to be great. He's going to be a king. He's going to sit on David's throne. He is going to be awesome. He's going to rule Israel forever and his kingdom. It's never, ever going to end. She was just confused and disturbed. How great of a moment is this, right? She has nothing to worry about. God's got it under control. I'm not saying the angel was reading the room wrong, but come on, this is a lot of information to process at once. Wouldn't you agree? This is a whole lot of information. First, you're disturbed, you're confused, and then he's like, hey, guess what? You're prego. What? Mary's question to him has nothing to do about the future baby. Mary's question to him is, how is there a baby? Mary asks in verse 34, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. When I read this, I, I don't hear the question of curiosity like she's asking this angelic being for an explanation of the birds and the bees. Right? I, I, so, how can this happen? Right? Like, tell me. No, no, no. I imagine Mary thinking about her life with Joseph, thinking, we have never slept together before. And I hear, how can this happen? 
This is not realistic. That's not what I wanted. If what the angel's saying is true, then all of Mary's hopes that she may have had for her future family are completely shifted. Enter chaos, correct? First, how do you have this conversation with Joseph? She has no idea an angel is going to visit him. This is on her shoulders at this point. He could legitimately divorce her and have every right to do so. And if he does, I mean, if you could dream about the future, you could dream about chaos too, can't you? How do you raise a king on your own as a single mom? How do you tell your parents who have trained you correctly and you've done everything with honor and integrity and now you're pregnant? Who's going to believe that you've never slept with somebody? This becomes awkward. What will her family say? What will the village say? Who's actually going to believe this? And again, how? How? Well, the angel replies, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. And he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. The angel's just up front. This is a miracle. This is 100% a miracle. And because I recognize, Mary, you've never seen a miracle, I'm going to show you another miracle. And I need you to know that God is up to something good. Elizabeth, your cousin, she's pregnant too. Now, if you don't know about Elizabeth, Elizabeth is a great story that we really don't have the time to jump into, but she's been married for a long time to a man named Zechariah, and let me tell you, these two loved each other, and these two loved God. And for a long time, they tried to have kids, but they could not. In that culture, is this viewed as highly favored? Nah. Someone sinned. Someone did something wrong, but they both served so faithfully in the temple in fact, what's interesting is when they find out they're pregnant, Zechariah can't really talk about it, and Elizabeth does not tell anybody. She doesn't tell anybody because we find out that it's in her sixth month that she, that Mary's going to go visit her. This is the time at which you start to see the, the, the belly, you know? This is when you're showing, and it's a little harder to hide that you're pregnant, but up to this point... They've not announced this to anybody. I don't know if that's fear, if that's worry, if that's anxiety, but here's what I know, that Elizabeth's pregnancy is a miracle, and Mary needed to know that God was up to something good, that God is always up to something good, and so she goes to see Elizabeth. When she goes to see Elizabeth, she walks through the door, and before she could do a thing walking through the door, the baby in Elizabeth's womb filled with the Holy Spirit, jumps and starts to celebrate with joy. I have no idea what that would feel like. I mean, uh, is it gassy? Is it like, I, I just don't know. But what I do know is that whatever it was, it was clear that the Holy Spirit, who was in Mary, was responding to the Holy Spirit, who was in Elizabeth. And the Holy Spirit was up to something good that day. And Elizabeth blesses Mary and says, oh my gosh, I knew it when you walked in. I knew it when you walked in, and she blesses Mary, and she says, before Mary says anything, you are a blessed woman. 
Mary never announced she was pregnant, but Elizabeth knew. She says in verse 45, you're blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. She was not blessed because she was having this baby, but she was blessed because she believed that the Lord would do what he said. We can have hope in the word of God. We can have hope that he is going to do what he said, even though this wasn't planned, even though chaos was ensuing, she could have hope in and because of Jesus. Hope does not mean crossing your fingers. It means we can expect great things from God in the midst of all the chaos. And in times of chaos, what do we do? We sing our way to hope. In times of chaos, we can sing our way to hope. And can I tell you, this is exactly what Mary does. She sings her way to hope. She sings her way to hope. She responds in song. And now, if you've grown up in the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, or the Lutheran Church, in those traditions, you may be familiar with her song as part of your liturgy. It's called the Magnificat, which is Latin for magnify. If you're newer to church, maybe like me, you've grown up in the evangelical tradition, you've likely never heard this. <laughs> this is going to be new to you. And I think that's simply because I, I, I do believe that in our tradition, we minimize Mary because of how other traditions elevate her. We, we refer to her like this little peasant girl, just obeyed God, kept quiet, did her thing. But I need to confess to you that as I have read and reread this song from Mary, I've become uh, kind of alarmed that I think I viewed her wrong. I've seen her very, very differently now. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is a German pastor and theologian, uh, he was... Uh, part of a coup to assassinate Hitler twice in World War II and was actually killed for, his, uh, killed for his faith in a concentration camp two weeks before it was liberated. This is what he says about this song. This could be the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. I know you want to read this now, don't you? You want to see what this is about. Would you stand with me as we listen to Mary sing? In the tradition of her people, she will sing her way to hope. This is what it says, starting in verse 46. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. And, and let me just tell you, this, this is when this whole hymn is going to turn, right? This is what, as evangelicals, we like up to this point. She's so nice. She's so good. She's so lowly. It's about to turn. And this, what we're about to read, is the reason um, this Magnificat is actually banned in three different South African companies or countries right now. You cannot read what we're about to read. They have banned it. And I want to read it right next to a picture drawn of Mary by Ben Wildflower. And this is how she finishes her hymn. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones. 
and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his children forever. Amen? You may be seated. Mary, who found herself confused, she found herself disturbed, a couple of days ago now finds herself in a place of singing to hope. With the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, she's sitting in chaos, but she sees God at work. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, she sees God at work, not just in her, but actually half of this song, if you look at that first half, it's all about God, thank you for being at work in me. I do not deserve this, but you're not just at work in me. If you could do something through this lonely girl, what will you do through the world? What will you do to change the world? The last half is her singing out what she knows is going to happen because of her son. God can change everything. Hope means the rich who've always had what they needed while the poor sit and die in the streets. They're going to walk away empty-handed. Princes and rulers who dominate, who oppress, who lead unjustly, they're going to be humbled. They're going to be toppled by the people that God raises up in humility. Those who have been pushed aside and forgotten, that's who this song is for. This is about the future hope for anyone who's been left behind, for anyone who's felt pushed down, squashed, left out, knocked aside. This is a song of deliverance. This is a song of hope. Hope that God has not forgotten you. Hope that God has not forgotten your nation, your people. This is hope for Israel that God still sees us even though these Romans are over top of us. Most the nation of Israel would ignore this song. They would ignore this baby. They would write him off as the little bastard child of an unfaithful woman. This baby Messiah, it's not what I wanted. That's not what I wanted. So they sat with fingers crossed in their chaos with no song of hope. For Mary, not what I wanted. Would still bring chaos, disruption, but unlike the nation around her, she was standing with a renewed voice to sing about the passionate, the wild, and the revolutionary song of hope. And a song not just for her, but for anyone and everyone who would place their hope in her son, Jesus. And so I ask you this morning, where is your hope? When you say hope, does it really mean fingers crossed? Is it how I hope the giants don't get completely annihilated? Do you just hope that Jesus will miraculously show up for you? He desires to be in relationship with us. And when we place our hope in him, I will tell you what has changed my lens is this song. 
leaning into what Mary has said, and now I'm the first to confess, I just want, I hope to get through this season. I hope. You know what? I hope that God would be gracious enough to open my eyes to see him at work in this chaos. That I would be as present as Elizabeth and Mary to the Holy Spirit in my life to see and to recognize and respond to what he's doing in yours and to those around me. That I would not ignore, that I would not shame, that I would not just push through a situation because you gotta get the present, you gotta do the party, you gotta finish the thing. And we lose sight of the people. Where is your hope? Chaos will come to you this month. I'm sorry, it's a guarantee. You will forget stuff. But I dream about Crossbridge being filled with songs of hope. Not just on Sunday or Wednesday or at a worship night, but that our homes would be filled with songs of hope that our cars would be filled with songs of hope, that when we find ourselves beaten and bruised by the enemy and we put on that armor of God that we talked about for the last six weeks, that in those moments we would sing a song like the world cannot sing because we believe that God is up to something good whether we see it in the moment or not. Mary's life would be difficult from there on out. Jesus' birth would be questioned from there on out. But she had hope. And she continued to sing about it. What's your song of hope? As we celebrate communion this morning, we do so. Celebrating hope. Amen? We have hope. Whew. This is why I'm thankful for Advent is I will be so candid with you. This is not something on my brain all the time. It's easy to feel defeated. It's easy to get stuck in the chaos. And if you don't have a communion cup or you didn't grab one on the way in, uh, if you just raise your hand, we'll make sure that we get you one. Um, we'll make sure that we get you one. So, I've been reminded this week that there is always hope. And I thank God that through communion, He's demonstrated both pain and hope at the same time for us, hasn't he? I'm confident that when he lived his life and he found himself on that cross, in Luke 2, we're going to read about Mary pondering all these things that happened to Jesus. I'm sure she remembered some of these moments from Gabriel when he said, Everyone else in this nation sees this man on a cross and they think this is their victory. And it's very hard to imagine suffering and finding hope in that, isn't there? But I believe Mary found hope even in the suffering. I know Jesus did. For you and I, would you take the bread and just hold it in your hand and remember that Jesus turns to his disciples at Passover. And he says to them, this is my body broken for you. And they didn't know what it meant yet, but on that cross, would you snap this in your ear and listen to the sound of hope?
Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. And when he breathed his last breath with the words satelestai, that it is finished, it is done, and he commits his spirit to God to ensure his death, the Roman guard went over and as if though his giving up of his breath and suffocation and his broken body wasn't enough, they shoved a spear into his side to puncture his heart and outpoured his blood. Would you just smell this grape juice with me? This is what our hope smells like. This is our hope. His body, a representation of his blood for you and me. Would you celebrate Jesus with me today? Let's eat and drink together. Would you stand with me to receive the word of the Lord as we go? Jesus, we start by saying thank you for your death and for your resurrection, for giving us a hope that you are always up to something that will point all people back to you whether we get it or not. So God, I pray for the bold prayer of enough patience to actually wait enough endurance to keep our eyes on you one step at a time. Our benediction comes from Psalm 130. I'm counting on the Lord. Yes, I'm counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than the centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than the centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, O Crossbridge, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel. He will redeem you. He will redeem me. He will redeem this world from every kind of sin. Amen? Amen. May you go in peace this week and celebrate the hope of Jesus in all the chaos around you. Amen.